join us if you dare. It's movie night at your drive-in of terror. Each week, you'll hear about one campy movie for a laugh. One terrifying feature sure to scare your pants off. And one kid-friendly scare for the little ones. Or not-so-little ones, needing a little less terror. The show's about to start. Get comfy and sit down in front. Oh, and one more thing. This episode contains spoilers. Consider yourself warm. Enjoy the show, if you're brave enough. Take it away, Shay. I'm Shay, and I'm here with my good friend Tom. Pull on into our drive-in of terror for season two, episode six of Scare Your Pants Off, because it's movie night. In tonight's episode, our fright-filled feature is Silent Hill. So grab your snacks, we'll kill the lights. How you doing, Tom? I'm really, really good. How are you? I'm really, really good. I'm su- <laughs> I say this every episode. I'm super excited to talk about these movies, as always. And um, just funny facts. So obviously you have the camping movie today. And in drawing the movies that we're going to do, Sharknado was actually my next pick after Shaun of the Dead and you picked it. I was, oh, I was like, oh, come on. But <laughs> again, I I love either of us talking about it. So it works out. But yeah, it was going to be my next choice. So that's really awesome. Yeah, it's uh, Sharknado is so good. It's like, these are all great films, and that's why we picked them. And then you have Silent Hill this week, which is another great film. I mean, yep. yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really good episode. Anything new going on? Anything fun happening in your world? No, not really. Hot here. Hot. It's uh, we're in heat wave, and it's just I work a lot, and it's very hot in that building. I and I know I I sound like a broken record. It's I work a lot. That's all, but that's what I do. You know, I, not not a whole heck of a lot going on. What about you? Anything new? It's uh, same. It's it's that time of year. So we we're filming this right now. We're recording this right now in the summer. It's not going to air till the fall. So when we're saying it's too hot and it's gross out, you're going to think you nuts. But it's actually summer right now. It is middle, you know, middle near end of July, really, and it is brutal. It's just that time of year right now where you just don't want to go anywhere. You don't. You just need to be in air conditioning, and it's yucky. And so the newest thing I've been doing is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. That's good. Yeah. This the humidity is what kills me here. It just it's it's just been very humid. So thank God for air conditioning. Oh, praise. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so you have uh, you have the camping movie today, obviously. For those looking for a laugh, it's time for the camping. Yes, I do. All right, so I'm excited to talk about this. I am going to be talking about the Sharknado film series. And I just, I absolutely love this series because it's so campy it's it's all of the camp that you could ever want i i mean it just in it dips its toes into a ton of different genres of film and it's so good guys i can't say enough good things about this so let me just get right into it sharknadoes is a series of six american made-for-TV, science fiction, action, comedy, horror, disaster films. 
So yeah, it just shows you how many genres it, it dips its toes into. And it was uh, released by Sci-Fi, the Sci-Fi, and released on the Sci-Fi Channel between the years of 2013 to 2018, and has since been expanded into video games, comic books, and spin-off series, uh, spin-off films. The first two films received actually mixed to, to mostly positive reviews from the critics, while the others didn't receive as good because they got campier and campier. And I just love that. I think they're all great, uh, yeah, but I definitely can see why critics would not, you know, give them all great reviews. So the first was released in 2013, followed by the second in 2014, the third in 2015, the fourth in 2016, the fifth in 2017, and the sixth in 2018. So one per year. And the series stars Ian Ziering, who is on Beverly Hills 90210. I believe his character is named Steve on that. And also it stars Tara Reid. They play husband and wife. Finn Shepard and April Wexler, and they are, they encounter and have to fight Sharknados. And yes, a Sharknado is exactly what it sounds like, guys. It's a tornado, but with sharks in it. So yeah, that right there, if you're not, if you're not already interested by just me saying tornadoes with sharks, you have no soul. Because... (laughs) That's true. It's 100% true. I agree. Uh, so the first, again, released in 2013, it, brief synopsis. I'm just going to give a brief synopsis of each. Um, a freak cyclone hits Los Angeles, causing man-eating sharks to be scooped up in the water spouts and flood the city with shark-infested seawater. Bar owner and surfer... Finn, played by Ian Ziering, sets out with his friends to rescue his estranged wife, April, played by Tara Reid, and their teenage daughter, Claudia, before the Sharknado reaches them. The second, released in 2014, called Sharknado 2, the second one. um, It's so clever. Yes, it is. Uh, Finn and April are in New York City to promote April's book, How to Survive a Sharknado and Other Unnatural Disasters. And the book's about the Los Angeles Sharknado event. And as they're out there, New York is hit with a severe storm causing new Sharknadoes to emerge. This is followed in 2015 by Sharknado 3, Oh Hell No. And this one follows the events of the previous film. And now Finn and April have remarried and are expecting another child. For his heroics in the Sharknado battles of Los Angeles and New York, Finn is in Washington, D.C. to receive an award from the president. However, when he is when he is there, he encounters a new Sharknado, which begins to make its way down the East Coast towards Florida, or as they call it in the tagline, the Feast Coast. I love all the puns. I'm not a pun guy, but I love the puns in this this one. They were very well done in these movies. Very, very well done. Uh, this is followed by the fourth installment, which is Sharknado, The Fourth Awakens. Everybody get it? You guys get it? <laughs> it's Star Wars. So, um, the third had ended on a cliffhanger, whether uh, 
regarding whether or not April had been killed by the falling wreckage at the end. And for this film, they actually did a Twitter campaign offering fans a chance to vote and decide the fate of April. And you did by going to the hashtags either April lives or April dies, the results of which would be re revealed at the very beginning of Sharknado 4. And that's when we find out that she, she in fact, did live. This film also has uh, David Hasselhoff, who reprised his role from the previous films, and uh, new cast members in Tommy Davidson, or making like smaller appearance, Tommy Davidson, Cody Lindley, Chuck Hittinger, Amani Hakim, uh, Cheryl Teagues, and the very strange Gary Busey. Then this is followed by the fifth, Sharknado 5, Global Swarming. Again, get it? No, uh, I am. <laughs> uh, and in this one, it was originally going to be titled Sharknado 5 Earth Zero. So kind of like, a, I guess, a sports score or something. But they ended up changing the title to Global Swarming. And this was basically uh, changed partly because of what was happening at the time. Uh, Mr. Donnie Trump, I guess, had been elected and had his Make America Great Again whatever campaign so they they uh you were using a tagline make america bait again <laughs> and um uh, again in this one they we have ian Ziering and tara reed and in this one casey sirbo is back and the storyline is that finn and his allies accidentally unleash a new wave of sharknados when they deactivate an ancient device that was actually keeping the Sharknados in check. The subsequent storms escalate to the point that they devastate the planet, leaving only Finn alive. That is until he is met in, by a time-displaced version of his son, Gil. So yes, we are about to get into time travel. Like I said, it touches on a lot of genres. So then this is followed by the final one, at least it's final at the at this point in uh as far as sharknados go and it's called the last sharknado it's about time and tarid inziering and casey cirbo are all back and in this one we see finn fight nazis dinosaurs knights and even take a ride on noah's ark so yeah we have a time traveling finn on this one and uh oh yeah vivica a fox is actually back in this one she had had been in sharknado 2 uh but hadn't been in any of the subsequent ones so she reprises her role in this one so this one has been the last survivor he finds himself traveling through time to meet some uh, supposedly deceased allies seeking to identify and prevent the first of the modern sharknados after subduing potential Sharknados in Camelot, the War of Independence, in the Wild West, Finn is able to destroy the original Sharknado before it could escalate into the global catastrophes he has witnessed. In doing so, he created a new timeline. In this timeline, Finn is back to just being the good old bar owner, and he is surrounded by his family and friends so we basically time travel to get us back to the beginning 
before they ever happened. So that is the Sharknado films. And guys, check them out. They're so fun. Start with the first one, work your way through. They're so, they're so, so good. And so there's, I left out a lot, guys. They're a lot of fun. Again, don't expect fine art, fine cinema. (laughs) Campy, fun. But something I didn't know, there are two, they call them spinoffs because they actually take place in the same universe. The first was Lava Lanchula. <laughs> Is that exactly what I imagined? I think so. Amazing. If, if you're, so this was 2015, and it's about fire-spitting tarantulas causing havoc all around Los Angeles. And it stars the cast are a lot of the cast of Police Academy and has an appearance by Ian Ziering as Finn Shepard. So that that appearance ties it into the universe. And then the second is actually a, a sequel to Lava Lanchula. It's called Two Lava, Two Lanchula. And this was in 2016. And it's got even more of the cast of Police Academy, like Steve Gutenberg, Marion Ramsey, and the super talented Michael Winslow. So that is Sharknado. Absolutely love it. I I absolutely loved every one of those. We actually used to ha- make a whole night of it. Every time the new one came out, we'd have like the shark thing food and the, you know, it's just it's time we, yeah, it's time we absolutely look forward to. And it was like an event in our house. And when it ended, I, I was seriously really bummed. And I actually, uh, I took the Twitter, just like, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I'm not big in social media. I'm not great at it, but, um, you know, I wasn't the only one either, but I actually posted something along the lines of uh coming 2019 hashtag sharknado7 gotcha and <laughs> it was it was actually retweeted by ian Zering and tara reed so it was I, I put my fingers together and i hope but it never happened so sorry but i tried that's amazing um yeah it, they like you said there's they're so fun i was bummed as well when I found out that they, because I felt like they they could just make one a year for until the end of time, and it would it would be fun. But I guess at some point you do gotta kind of cut bait. But I wouldn't be surprised if they come back at some point. Honestly, my fingers are crossed to it because yeah, it's 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 just so much fun, guys. Definitely, um, definitely check this out. All right, well. As much as I love talking about Sharknado, I have our feature today, and it's Silent Hill. Nice. And I'm super excited to talk about it, so. For those brave souls ready for a fright, it's time for the feature. All right, so Silent Hill came out in 2006, and it stars Sean Bean, or for whatever reason, I don't know what my need to call him Scene Bean whenever I talk about him. I know that's not his name. I know it's Sean Bean. But in my head, it's Scene Bean, so, you know. <laughs> it stars Scene Bean and <laughs> Rada, Michelle, uh, Rada Mitchell sorry, as Rose. And they play a couple who adopt a little girl with an extremely mysterious past, as an infant and her name is Sharon. She's played by an extremely talented young actress 
Jodell Ferland, and she's phenomenal. She's the epitome of creepy, and she's she's absolutely great. Young Sharon is plagued by terrifying sleepwalking incidents. These incidents aren't your typical sleepwalking. She's not just going into the kitchen or accidentally peeing on the floor or anything like that. They're bringing her out of the house, and it, it, when it when they show you the first one, she ends up on the top of this cliff overlooking water, and she's just not there. She's completely vacant, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs, Silent Hill, Silent Hill. And apparently they let you know that this is not the first time that this has happened. And uh, the dad, Christopher, doesn't know what to do about it, but the mom decides she's going to take action. She has to do something to try to help her daughter. She has to do whatever she can. So against her husband's wishes, she locates Silent Hill and is in West Virginia. And, it, and she takes off in that direction with Sharon in the middle of the night. After some struggles, uh, the husband turns off the credit cards in hopes that she'd be too out, of, too out of gas to be able to continue. You know, she has a little bit of a run-in with a police officer who felt that they were suspicious and pulls her over and, you know, tries to figure out, like, what her motive is for being out in the middle of the night and looking for Silent Hill. But Rose takes off and flees from the police officer. Finally, they find Silent Hill, and it's a long, winding road. It's dark. There's nothing. It's just an abyss of ash and whatever. Once they get into Silent Hill, she wrecks her car. And when she wakes, when she regains consciousness, she discovers that Sharon is no longer in the car with her. Obviously, she's panicked. So she starts looking around. She gets out of the car. She's trying to call her husband but there's something wrong with the line she you know nothing's working it's it's just completely different she gets out and she starts looking for her and then she runs into the police officer that originally was in pursuit and at first she cuffs her and she's you know gonna hold her back and bring her back to town and you know she, people are gonna you know other cops are gonna come and look for the daughter but she realizes that there's something quite unworldly otherworldly going on in this place. Now, Silent Hill at first glance is eerie enough. It's at the start, it's it's dense with burning ash lending to no visibility. There's burning corpses that reanimate and make this like shrill shrieking. It, it's audibly it's terrifying. And um and then obviously there's an amazing soundtrack that adds to the creep factor to it there's it's perfectly done and it's absolutely on the top of my list for best soundtracks in a movie mm, it's great it's, it really is it's so good now just when they think they've taken in all of the sites of silent hill abandoned dusty foggy creepy weird creatures and all that stuff a blaring apocalyptic siren sounds and it fills the air and then it happens. Silent Hill begins to change, quite literally falls callously away and turns into this nightmarish alter ego, making its prior image that was already pretty unsettling on level with the Brady Bunch neighborhood in comparison. <laughs> now, following this wildly drastic makeover, you're going to see a lot of really creepy stuff and it's everything is so well done. You're going to see these uh, like just 
festering rats like swarming and there's a janitor it ends up being the janitor and he's in a bathroom stall and rose opens the door and sees that he's in there and his feet are tied to the back of his head and he starts coming after her with his with his arms like dragging his body and it is it is terrifying it's so so freaking cool and it's it, it's just chills you to your core i don't find a lot of movies very scary at all but i will tell you this one is absolutely it's deep-seated fear it's in your gut and it's fantastic now the janitor is likely left to rot in this current state for his crimes against the child alessa who well i'll tell you more about shortly now you're also going to run into some mummified nurses which i absolutely love it's actually I have one of them on my sleeve on my arm and I'm, I absolutely love them, but they're almost caught in a purgatory state until something catches their attention. And then they just, they, this weird choreographed, almost like dance march. It's terrifying. I'm not doing it justice. You've got to watch it if you haven't. And of course you run into Pyramid Head. One of the best parts in this whole movie is Pyramid Head. He's got, he's got like, he's just wearing a cloth and he's pale and he's got this gigantic pyramid shaped helmet on his head and he drags with him this gigantic weapon and it's the sound of it dragging on the floor is, yeah, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole nother world and it's fantastic. Now, in searching for her daughter, Rose believes that she actually spots her and she rushes to her aid because she looks like she's hurt or maybe just just needs help and when she gets there she learns that it's not her sweet girl at least it's not all of her she meets alessa seemingly her daughter's twin but in fact she's something far worse alyssa is actually part of sharon the part of the young girl that was left behind alessa was punished by a religious zealot and her brainwashed minion followers for sins that were not her own. She was thought to be the child of Satan or a demon or something along those lines and given naively to the group by her mother. Now it's likely they have this thought because the mother wasn't for telling about who the father was for whatever reason. These acts that the zealot and, and her group do to her are, are unspeakable and the ones preceding Leading up to that altogether, it just broke the girl. They, they, she's just broken. And Sharon is found finally with the help of Alessa. And she's saved just before she's actually burnt alive herself. You do see the cop that was following her and ended up helping her get burnt to death, which is absolutely brutal. And it's it's one of those scenes that like sticks with you afterwards and you don't realize how big it is. So she's tied to this ladder thing and they lean her forward and she starts to burn and she's trying in every way to comfort the girl and assure her that her mother is coming and that she will be okay and as she's burning you can if you really pay attention you almost have to watch it a second time if you have if you've never watched it to really fully get it but she holds it in and she doesn't scream and you can see it but she doesn't scream because she doesn't want to scare the girl more than she has to so she it it's so well done and it's vulgar and it's violent and it's and it's gory, but it's so well done. Finally, 
Rose gets there and rescues Sharon and a whole awesome scene happens with like like barbed wire and the hospital bed and and really everybody kind of gets what they deserve and it's pretty awesome and Rose gets to leave with Sharon and she leaves Silent Hill and she drives home. Now what you're going to learn though is that when they went into Silent Hill they almost ended up in a dimension that runs just parallel to the one that they were current were previously in. And they leave and they go home. And it's a really cool scene because they show the dad there and he kind of hears and thinks they're there and he thinks he hears a car pull up, but they're not there. And yet they are. And it's it's just really neat and really well done. And they also hint that while Rose did get out of there with Sharon, Sharon might be a little more bold than she was when she got to Silent Hill, meaning Alexa might actually be in there. Now, Silent Hill 2 leaves a, leaves a lot of blanks, and young Sharon is now older with a new name, and she's beckoned back to Silent Hill. I'm going to tell you, it's not nearly as good, but it's interesting enough, so if you're a fan of this movie, give it a watch. It's, you know, it's worth it. So really kind of fun fact, though, is that Silent Hill is based on Centralia, Pennsylvania, and it's coal mines abandoned, like uh, the unused coal mines were set ablaze after a waste management mishap in 1962. Crazy. And it's a scary video game, too. So if terrifying video game, like gives you nightmares, it's amazing. The video but, game is great, and um, I, I, I recently have learned a little bit about that whole what goes on in Centralia with that fire and everything like that, and it's wild. I, I didn't know that it was based off that. I just I have read recently about Centralia. Um, but no, this is a great, great film, I, I think. I, I really enjoy it, and like you said, the video game is terrifying. Terrifying. It's, it's so so good it, it, do yourself a favor and play it but the whole concept like you said just this universe running parallel and it's all it, it's essentially the same but different and yeah it's just done so so well i can't say enough good things about this it's um you know it's it's a very 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 good horror film it really is um it's and it's funny too because it the first i remember the first time i saw it maybe even the first hand, yes, I've seen it way more than a handful of times. But even the first handful of times I've seen it, I saw it. It didn't really, I didn't fully grasp just how psychological it really is. And it, there's, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe there wasn't intended to be any, you know, any of it to any more like of a psychological aspect of it. But in my head, there is, and there's, I feel like there's a huge amounts of symbolism. Um, like at first glance, uh, you, you see Pyramid Head and you're scared of him and you're like, oh my God, he's terrifying and he's trying to kill whatever. But really when you take a step back and you, and you, and you look, he's not bad, he's actually protecting. It's almost like he's trying to preserve what's left of the little girl. And, and cause he doesn't attack who ends up being the little girl's biological mother, he attacks the zealots and the minions and and everything like that and it's it's actually quite beautiful when you when you really kind of when you kind of dig into it that way but then the other hand you have sharon and you have alessa obviously it's the same little girl who who was raped and 
abused and abandoned and that's going to break anybody and it's and it's so great because i feel like i almost feel like alessa is the traumatic response it's it's the part of the little girl that is just angry and done and hurt and scarred and whatnot and then you have sharon who is the shell it's what's left it's what's left when you lose every part of yourself when something like that happens and it's i just think it's so freaking cool and i think it's so well done and i don't know if that's what their intention was but man that's what it feels like yeah no yeah yeah it's i agree 100 percent oh that's all i got for that one and it's uh, again, if you haven't seen it, by all means, watch it because it's it's so great. It really is. It really, really is. I, and you did that was perfect. You did the perfect description of it. It's um, yeah. Do yourself a favor, guys. You will you will definitely enjoy this film. So, I think we're on to the rating system part of our episode and yeah, i'm so um, curious what you you're gonna rate or what the you're going with on this i am gonna so it's so funny because <laughs> i i feel like i don't want to rate everything really high but at the same time all of these movies that we picked we love so they're always i'm not gonna have probably any twos yeah so i'm gonna use mining birds as the rating system for today. So if you've seen it, you get it. Um, Say it again, you're gonna use what? Mining birds, the little oh, yeah. birds that they have in the cages. Yeah. And I'm gonna do, okay. I'm gonna go nine and a half out of 10 mining birds. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That, that is very, very high. I, um, I, I think it's a great film. Um, I am just, if I'm comparing off of my ratings thus far into it, I think I would have to go with a 7.5 and I feel like that sounds low, but if you're looking at my ratings, that's actually high because yeah. I, 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 the highest maybe i gave is a nine so far so um and then i gave poltergeist and our last week's episode i gave an eight and i absolutely love it and i love silent hill yeah but if i'm putting it on there i i like if you put them both in front of me i'm probably gonna pick poltergeist nine times out of ten to watch first and then i followed very quickly by silent hill like right afterwards but I would probably so for that reason i would have to say 7.5 very good i like it all right well i have the kids movie recommendation for the <coughs> little ones it's time for the kids scare so this week i get to recommend the, the kids uh movie and this is one of my all-time favorites guys something that a lot of people don't know is i'm a big big fan of musical theater love it and what i'm going to discuss is based off of a uh broadway musical or off broadway it was original off broadway musical if i'm being technical but and it is the 1986 horror comedy musical film little shop of horrors 
so good. Directed by uh, Frank Oz. And again, it's an adaptation of the 82 Off-Broadway, which the 82 Off-Broadway musical was actually an adaptation of the 1960 film, The Little Shop of Horrors, directed by uh, the great Roger Corman. And it centers on a floral shop worker who discovers, discovers a sentient carnivorous plant that feeds on human blood. It stars, and this cast is amazing. Um, it stars Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, Vincent Gardenia, Steve Martin, Levi Stubbs, also has appearances by Jim Belushi, John Candy, Christopher Guest, Bill Murray, just amazing. Some of my all-time favorite comedians and comic actors and stuff. And uh, yeah, it was produced by the Geffen Company and David Geffen and released in 1986. And let's, I'm just going to get right into it. In the early 60s, three girls, and it, it's really, the three girls are the Greek chorus. Any of you are familiar with Greek plays and stuff and the Greek chorus who, who you know, they're a chorus and sometimes they'll come and sing or speak in unison and they say stuff too that uh, helps further the plot, you know. Um, and these three girls, Chris, Crystal, Ronette, and Chiffon are their Greek chorus. And they introduced the film, warning audiences that some horror is coming their way. <clears throat> and then we see Seymour Krelburn and his colleague Audrey, who work at Mushnick's Flower Shop in a rundown neighborhood in New York City, which is in, in this musical, they call it Skid Row. Um, I've actually been to Skid Row in Las, uh, Los Angeles, sad area. Um, and the two of them cecil hotel is it's right by there yep is it oh okay sorry I didn't interrupt, but I'm no kidding. no i'm glad you did yeah. yeah that's it's right over there it's um yeah it's it's a tough part i drove through with a friend um maybe 10 years ago i was out visiting him and him and his girlfriend and he's like you want to drive through i was like yeah and it's just like just you know, miles of just tents and people living on the street and it's, it's sad. It's tough. Anyway, so as Audrey and Seymour are talking, they're lamenting how that they can't escape this neighborhood, no matter how hard they try and they just want to get out of it. And then we find out that the, the store is actually suffering from a lack of customers. So Mr. Mushnick is probably going to have to close the store. That is until Audrey suggests that maybe he should display this weird plant that Seymour owns. And so he so why not? Tries it, whatever, because he's going to close anyway. What's it going to hurt? And this plant immediately starts attracting customers. Um, and then we find out that Seymour actually bought this plant, which he has named Audrey too, because of Audrey he's in love with, from a Chinese flower shop during a solar eclipse. And a song breaks out. And I, I didn't I haven't said all the songs, but songs break out throughout this guys and that just sort of helped further the uh the, the plot lines. So now that the plant is attracting business to Mushnik shops, 
um, it all of a sudden starts to wither and looks like it's gonna die. So they're like, oh, what are we gonna do? And Seymour's just trying to figure out what it, what to do. And he accidentally pricks his finger and starts to bleed. And then he discovers that Audrey too actually needs human blood to thrive. And then we break out into gr Grow For Me song. Um, so now Seymour is feeding Audrey with his own blood, pricking his fingers or whatever, and giving her a little bit of blood. And we see Audrey too start to grow very rapidly. And um, because growing so much and everything, Seymour is becoming a local celebrity. Um, but Audrey, unfortunately, has been suffering at the hands of her sadistic boyfriend, Oren Scrivello. Um, and this is when we find out that she actually has feelings for Seymour and secretly dreams of running off with him to the suburbs and starting a family. Uh, break out into the song somewhere at that screen. Um, That's my favorite one, I think, in the movie. It cracks that, me up. It's amazing. It's a, it's a good one. There's a lot of good songs in this, too. They're really great. But that is a very good one. Um, all the while, Seymour continues to feed Audrey, too, with his own blood. Um, but as we all know, when you're draining yourself of blood, you start to become weak. And this is what's happening to Seymour. It's starting to drain his uh, energy. So he's got to slow down a little bit or find an alternative to feed Audrey too. Meanwhile, Seymour soon, uh, attempts to ask Audrey out, but she turns him down because she has a date with Oren that night. And then we find out that Oren is revealed to be a dentist. And we hear the song Dentist, which is a great song. Um, so after Seymour closes up shop, all of a sudden Audrey too begins to talk to Seymour, demanding more blood. And it's more blood than Seymour can actually give. So, you know, Seymour explains this. And then the, so the plant proposes that Seymour murder someone in exchange, in exchange for the fame and fortune that Audrey too is bringing him. And also, he would be able to woo Audrey. Obviously, Seymour initially refuses. I mean, he's not a murderer. He's a good guy, nerdy good guy. And But uh, eventually agrees to it after he sees Oren abusing and being just a bad dude to Audrey. We got Feed Me, Get It, the uh, that song, Breakout. So one, uh, so one night after, Oren finishes with a masochistic patient of his own named Arthur Denton, who had requested a long, slow root canal. <laughs> like I, I love that, that he requested a long, slow root canal. I think that's so funny. Um, Seymour draw, uh, pulls out a gun on Oren. But again, Seymour is, so, you know, peckish, nervous, nerdy guy. He can't do it. So, um, you know, Oren kind of laughs, whatever. And then Oren, who has, uh, who abuses or has a nitrous oxide problem, puts on one of those nitrous masks to, um, so that he can just 
just get a constant flow of the nitrous, just keep it going. And, but as you're doing it, he breaks the valve and Seymour just stands there and watches him asphyxiate from the, due to the broken valve on the, uh, the nitrous oxide. Some people call it laughing gas guys, but nitrous oxide. Mm-hmm. So after, after he, after he fully asphyxiates and dies, Seymour dismembers Orin's body and feeds it to Audrey too. And the, we see now that Audrey too is enormous, just huge at this point. Uh, what Seymour doesn't realize is that Mr. Mushnick witnessed this, witnessed him feeding it to, uh, you know, Audrey too, whatever. So Audrey, feeling guilty over Orange's disappearance, not sure what happened to him, is comforted by Seymour and the two finally admit their feelings for each other. And we get the classic Suddenly Seymour song, which is great great song it's the one that most people know from even if you just had like a passing familiarity with it most people know that song um and but later that night mushnick confronts seymour about Orin's death and tells him what he saw and holds seymour at gunpoint blackmailing him or trying to blackmail him into turning the plant over and for him to leave town so more has no choice and so he begins to he's gonna leave town do everything he said and leave town and whatever but so seymour begins to tell him how to take care of audrey too to keep it going so he can keep the shop going whatever but right before he can reveal the big secret on how to feed her feed audrey too the plant swallows mushnick hole and this is where we hear supper time i love that song too supper time I think it's a great one. Yeah, that's a good one too. And despite the wise, widespread success, Seymour worries about Audrey's tooth's growth and her just overwhelming appetite. Get another song, and then he Seymour is offered money and a contract for a botany TV show. Um, but Seymour becomes overwhelmed and decides they got to escape Skid Row. So he with or taking audrey with him using the money that's supposed to come the next day uh and he's going to leave the plant to starve after audrey accepts seymour's marriage proposal audrey too catches seymour leaving and demands another meal seymour agrees but insists on meat from the butcher while seymour is gone this is a great scene the plant telephones audrey coaxing her to come to the shop where he's going to try to eat her. And this is where he has Supper Time 2, another great song. Um, Seymour luckily returns in time to save Audrey and escape the store with her. This is when he finally explains how he has been feeding this plant and why he was doing it to, you know, win her heart. And that's when he discovers that she has always loved him we get a, re- a reprise for a, of suddenly seymour song and then they're approached by an uh an executive patrick martin from a, a, a botanical company um and seymour is offered a contract to breed more audrey too and sell the saplings worldwide 
So clearly, obviously, he's horrified by this idea, and he get he gets Martin out of there and realizes what he's got to do. He's got to destroy Audrey too for the sake of humanity. So he returns to the shop, intending to do so, intending to uh, take out Audrey too. And this is where we learn that Audrey too is actually an alien from another from outer space. We get the song, another great song, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. And uh, Audrey 2 traps Seymour and destroys the shop, but he grabs an exposed electrical cable and electrocutes it, which results in an explosion and which destroys the shop. And then uh, Seymour reunites with Audrey they get married and they move to the suburbs but as they arrive at their new home a smiling audrey two bud can be seen among the flowers in their front yard leaving the ending ambiguous so there was actually a, a different original ending which was uh, sh uh shot by uh, frank oz and it was supposed to be even darker, that or a, a much darker ending. But as he did, as they were testing the the movie with the test audiences, they didn't react very well or to the that ending, thinking it was a little too dark. So he ended up changing it to sort of this more upbeat but ambiguous huh. ending. My curiosity is like. Like, yes, me too. I would love to see that. So, that is Little Shop of Horrors. That's such a great movie. I love Rick Moranis. I, so, I just adore him. Spaceballs, oh my god, I he's just so, so great! So good. This whole cast, Steve Martin, one of yep. my favorites, love Steve Martin. But yeah, this cast is amazing, and they're all, you know, it's 86, they're all a little younger, too. It's, um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about this, guys. Check it out. This is a fun one for the kids. Like I said, it's a Broadway, mu it's a Broadway musical. It's done, I mean, this play is done, or musical is done so often with theater companies, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a great one. I mean, this is actually a common one even in like high schools and stuff like that where they'll do this this musical because it's just it, yeah, we're we're calling it horror, but it's super family family friendly. It's a musical. Uh, this is what do you think for an age group? I, I like I I would think this is fine for an eight year old, but I don't have I've never yeah. had kids. So what do you think? I feel I'd say definitely uh, like eight. I mean, obviously parents use your discretion but you might even be able to go younger than eight it's really yeah it's, it, it's subjective but it's it's fairly appropriate there's really not a lot of anything bad in it it's just yeah i think it's really good yeah i okay cool yeah i would i would agree i mean i was i know the first time i saw it i was really really young so it's I know that was a different time. It was the eighties and whatever. It was a different yep. time, but it's yeah, this isn't bad. So highly recommended for the for the fun for the whole family on this one. Absolutely. Well, have you got anything else for me today? No. 
All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Meet us at the snack bar next week when Carrie is on the big screen. Until then, sweet dreams. Thanks, guys. As always, thank you for listening. Feel free to reach out to your hosts by email at scareyourpantsoff9 at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Be sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications wherever you get your podcasts. If we haven't scared you away yet, you're our kind of people. So check under your bed and keep your feet under the covers if those closet doors shut. <laughs> Till next week, my friends.